I was talking to a friend of mine who happened to be in a real serious predicament. Didn't know what to do, truly not sure of what they would do. He sensed a calling in his life for so many years to do something else than what his parents wanted him to do. Didn't know what to do, didn't know what to do, didn't know what to do. And there in prayer, he just said, God, I got to make this decision. I got to choose to be faithful to you. That's what this crisis now is about. It's about you and me choosing to say, God, I'm willing to be faithful even when everyone else and the world around me is saying, do this, do this, do this. It's about a generation stepping up and saying, God, even if the world laughs at me, I will be faithful. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. A buddy of mine back in college was going through a crisis. He was trying to figure out in his life if he would wait for the girl that God had really spoken into his life multiple times. Hey, she's gonna come into your life. You're going to have a relationship with her. It's going to happen. Or would he go for the girl that was right in front of him that seemed like a really good friend, that they had a relationship, she lived in the town, went to the school, or would he wait for that one that God had said, this is the one for you? Ooh, I don't know if any of you can relate to this. Can any of you understand that sometimes you fall into a crisis and you don't know what to do? There's two great, seemingly good choices in front of you, but one has the blessing of God, and the other has everything that's easy. Well, one night they were talking, this girl that was right there in town, that was right at our school, she was our friend, very sweet girl, and I saw them kind of talking to each other there at the gazebo on Saturday night. Uh, they had finished eating, we were all kind of laughing and joking, and then she kind of whispered something into his ear, and he said, yeah, I'll come over. Yeah. Sounds fun. I was like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sounds like fun, huh? We had prayed over this one girl that God had spoken into his life so many times. We had prayed for his courage and willingness to be faithful, to truly wait for the blessing that God had in store for him. This girl that was right there in town, our friend, was a sweet girl. There was nothing wrong with her. It just wasn't the girl that we had been praying for. And the girl that over and over in a dream, in a word, through his parents, through all these different things, it was like, there's this girl that's far away that you know that God has promised for you. Every sign, every truth was speaking about that one. 
but a whisper in the ear, in a moment when his guard was down, he says, oh, that would be fun. Yeah. And as they're making their way, leaving, I don't know what it was within me. I just saw the battle in his eyes, in his mind. I'm like, hey, see you guys. But God didn't leave me there in that moment. You see, he, he spoke into my life and he said, Philip, see you guys? Is that what you're going to do when your brother is in a moment of decision? You're just going to say, see you guys and let him go? We're not going to repeat here, Cain and Abel. You are your brother's keeper, Philip. You are to step out in faith. You are to go after him. You go run. And it had been about five minutes now. I mean, I knew in my head, I started making all the reasons. No, I know he's in a crisis. I know he needs a word of truth. I know he needs to stand in this moment. But God, come on, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. I, Lord, I don't want to make myself a fool to him. Lord, this is just going to be a mess. And all of a sudden, there was just this, stop, run. I was like, uh. And I kind of literally stood up when I heard that in my mind. I, was, I literally stood up. Everyone around was like, hey, what's wrong with you? And I said, I've got to go. And I booked it across our entire campus. My shoes flew off. Literally, I was running barefoot, sweat pouring down my eyes. I was going to find my buddy who needed a word of truth in his crisis. I ran not knowing if I would catch them before they got to her car because he didn't have a car. He didn't have a car. She had a car. She was a little bit further ahead in life. She knew where she was going. She knew the catch she was going to find. And I booked it. And just as I turned the corner, I saw them about to close the door. And I screamed out, hey, you guys. And they're like, what? And there was my buddy, Josh. He looks up at me like a deer in headlights. And he couldn't stop looking at me, running at him. And I just said, Josh, did you forget? There was that one thing that we had to do tonight. I know, I was making something up in the moment. I was. But there was something we had to do. Pray for his courage. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, remember? Remember? You remember? I'm kind of like giving him this, this weird look and she's kind of like furling her brows. like. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's right. Uh, yeah, I can't come over to your house. I've got to go do this one thing. She's like, what are you guys talking? Yeah, we got to go. I'm so sorry. Bye. Yeah, praise God. You see, that night he looked at me and he said, man, on our way to the car, we started talking about the things we might do. We started talking about Everything but the promise God had in store for me. You see, he was in a moment of crisis and he needed a truth that would help him get through, that would save him and her. 
from hardship and brokenness. You see, my buddy ended up with that girl of promise. That's right, Dwight. That's right. But it wasn't because he gave up. It was because he listened to the word of truth being spoken to him in his crisis. Friends, our world is in the midst of a crisis. I don't know how many of you experienced 2020 and in what way you saw it or felt it. Some of you were like, this is the best year ever. I got married. I graduated, I got a good job. And others of you, man, I lost someone. I was incredibly lonely. My depression kicked up. I gained a couple pounds like you did, Pastor Phil. I know, I got that COVID-19 for sure. I got it in December and then I also have been gaining some. But you see, the world is in a desperate crisis. The general secretary of the UN said the pandemic was the world's most significant crisis since World War II. One student in Florida graduating spoke out a word. He said, we stepped into a world when it was completely falling apart. Ellen White, kind of speaking into this moment of crisis, she writes in The Great Controversy, page 580, that the events now taking place is seen as a rapid advance toward the fulfillment of the prediction of Bible prophecy. You see, I don't know how many of you understood what happened in 2020 and the significance of it. One week, we were in church. We were all at restaurants. We were having fun. The next week, every church in America was closed. Does that seem rapid to you or is it just kind of slowly easing into things? The world is in a crisis and needs a word of truth. You see, I think that it's so significant that we're in the series on Revelation right now because it truly might be just the message that God has been yearning to get through to you. Some of you are about to graduate. Some of you are on the precipice of decision. Some of you are wondering, God, is there a more significant purpose for my life? And I promise you, there is. The book of Revelation has a word for you tonight. You know, the reason why we talk about truth and scripture here week after week is not because we believe that, oh, that's just kind of the thing you have to do on a weekend. No, it is because as Timothy is spoken to by Paul, he says, Be trained in season and out of season that the word of truth may be spoken correctly, that it might change souls for eternity. The things that happen here on Friday nights, on the weekends when church is open, it is the moment when each one of us might experience such a significant life change, it alters eternity. When Jesus is lifted high, He draws all people to himself, brings him glory, and changes people's lives. I was one way, but I met Jesus, and now I'm another. I want to give you a little bit of a glimpse from 30,000 feet up as if we're in a plane on the book of Revelation for a moment, okay? I want to look at it just in very succinct three groupings in which Revelation finds itself in this way. 
We start in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. And this is the bigger thing that you have to catch here. John, the revelator, who is speaking into this book, given by signs and symbols, the Greek word semeaino, it says that an angel showed him signs. Literally, they are symbols, word pictures of what is happening and what is to come. Beginning in verse 19, there it says, the things which are about to take place after these things. So first John is given a word for what are in their midst. What is here? What is in that very moment going on? The revelation, it is a letter of Jesus. And it was given to seven different churches to travel from one church to, a, to another, to another, and to another. One church would read it, and they would write notes. Some would be prescribing every letter that was written, and they would keep a copy, and they would give it to the next church. So it is spoken to them in that first century time period. But it also is for what is to come after them. The book of Revelation divided into three parts. Chapters 1 through 3 is about the primary focus of that moment that is in that time period in the first century, primarily. You can break up the seven churches kind of in different histories, but its primary focus was for the church of Sardis, Philadelphia, Thyatira, Laodicea, there at the very end. Then secondly, the book of Revelation is divided into the historical focus, chapters 4 through 11. It is from the history of the Christian church, from when Jesus was there all the way to the end of time. And then finally, where we're going to jump into tonight, from chapters 12 to 22, it is the chapters about the end of the world. The chapters that focus on the crisis at hand. I was talking to a friend of mine who happened to be in a real serious predicament. Didn't know what to do, truly not sure of what they would do. He sensed a calling in his life for so many years to do something else than what his parents wanted him to do. He didn't know what to do, he didn't know what to do, he didn't know what to do. And there in prayer, he just said, God, I got to make this decision. I got to choose to be faithful to you. That's what this crisis now is about. It's about you and me choosing to say, God, I'm willing to be faithful even when everyone else and the world around me is saying, do this, do this, do this. It's about a generation stepping up and saying, God, even if the world laughs at me, I will be faithful. And so we jump into our text now, which is kind of springing us into where we're going to look. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. One of my professors, a phenomenal guy, Ranko Stefanovic, he told us there are springboard passages which portray what is to come. Here in chapter 12, verse 17, this is what is going to happen in the rest of the chapters. It sets the tone for everything that's coming ahead. And it says here, and the dragon was enraged with the woman. I'm going to stop right there. The dragon symbolizes Satan. The woman represents the church, the church at large, the church collective, all church. And then it says, and the dragon was enraged and went to make war with the rest of her offspring. This term in Greek, loipos, the remnant. 
those who are left over, those who, what the text says, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. The commandments of God literally here are His law, the ten and all the rest. But then it also says, have the testimony of Jesus. You know, there's one thing that Adventists have unfortunately failed to do, and that is to portray the testimony of Jesus in a much larger light than simply if you go to Revelation 19.10 and it says that those who have the testimony of Jesus have the spirit of prophecy. Because in our text that we're going to look at, it also means those who have the faith of Jesus. I don't know how many of you have the faith of Jesus. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, hey, you saw me do some pretty significant things. Miracles? You're going to do those kind of things. When I go, you will do even much more wonderful than you ever thought you could. Wow. Now, let's look at this. Jesus said that the world would hear the gospel of the kingdom, that it would be preached into the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then what? And then what? Then the end will come. You know, it's interesting. So many of us kind of hide behind the fact that we think that God will call us to just live a really nice life, really upstanding person, but never actually say anything for Him. God, I am too embarrassed to say anything for you. God, my coworker is going to think I'm a ridiculous idiot. They're never going to come to church if I invite them. Lord, why would I tell her that? Are you kidding me? What does the Bible say in the Gospels? Jesus came preaching the gospel. Does it say in there that Jesus came living an upstanding life so that everyone would see how he lived and therefore by his example, they would know everything they need to know about the kingdom and life and goodness and then they would become believers simply by watching him. And by watching his example, they would know everything they would need to know. Does it say that in the text? The text speaks out and it says that Jesus came preaching. That means you, you right there with the mask on, you up there without the mask on, you over there getting really carousy and cozy, that dude, you over there in the red shirt, yes, you in the black shirt, yeah, you over there in the corner, yes, you down here sitting down, you are all called to preach. Every single one of you is called to preach. Every one of you is a preacher. The question is though, what message are you preaching? What message are you preaching? Your life is a sermon unto the world. When someone observes your life, what do they hear about Jesus? What do they see about the kingdom? What are they learning about what it means to follow Christ in faithfulness? When they hear you speak, when they see how you live, how do they understand the gospel when they look at that? Do they see faithfulness? Do they see someone taking risks for the kingdom? Do they see someone who isn't embarrassed to look a fool in front of others? Or do they see a self-conscious, embarrassed, as we spoke two weeks ago in Revelation, cowardly, 
witness. The text tonight is a rebuke to me, and I'm a pastor. Because there have been many times I've been afraid to preach the message God yearns for me to speak out because of what people might say. There have been moments I've been cowardly to speak a word of truth to someone that I saw that was hurting. Whether it's my neighbor. We are such chickens with our neighbors. I cannot tell you how scared sometimes I am to say anything to my neighbor. Hey, you want to come to this one place and I get all awkward. We do this one thing. We sing songs there. And, you know, I, I'm like, what are you talking about? I, I don't know. Never mind. See you later. Okay, bye. <laughs> it is about people who are excited about the work of Jesus in their life that it is to our best interest to speak out the truth so that others might come to know Him, love Him, and make a decision that will affect eternity. Wow. And so we jump into the text tonight, Revelation 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. To what? Preach. Preach. To those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. I had an opportunity to go to the Amazon there in a beautiful place, deep into the jungle, And we were going for, I mean, almost a day and a half on this boat. We're going far in there. I was like, guys, are we there yet? Nothing against anyone who lives in the jungles. But man, there's a lot of mosquitoes. They hurt bad. We were all itching everywhere. We were deep in that place. And we get to this one place where the guide said, we're going to meet some natives who are here. They're going to speak to us about their culture. And there we were talking to these people. They were showing us their garb. They had very few clothes on, literally nothing virtually, besides like a string and this like cone. If you know what I mean, you can picture that in your head. And lovely people truly enjoyed what they were sharing and talking to us about. And somehow the topic they got onto was, oh, we heard you're from a school. I think we know the school. I was like, you know the school we're from? Andrews University? Yes, we are Seventh-day Adventist. You're Seventh-day Adventist? Wow. Someone had taken them the gospel true deep into the jungle. They found out about Jesus. They left their animalistic culture. That's what it was, animism. They worshiped the animals and their gods, the spirits, and they came to a faith in Jesus because of Fernando and Anna Stahl. There's the cultural center in La Sierra University. You can find out all you want about these missionaries. They took the gospel deep into the jungle to find this tribe. You know, we've seen this precipice of missionaries going out into the world at an alarming rate. We need missionaries who are willing to go out. Who is willing to sacrifice the luxuries of the American dream for an eternal dream? Anyone? It's hard to leave this place. It's hard to leave the comforts of my bed. It's hard to leave the moments when I just feel, God, it's just a little safer here. God, we could make some more money here. God, the stock market's here. My retirement's here. My food is here. God, my family's here. 
But you see, the thing is, what if God calls me to go? Am I willing to let go of the American dream and the luxuries of this world to go into the mission field? I don't know if you'll ever go to the internationally, but I do know if you stay here, this is the message that we've been called to preach. And here we go. The first angel says this, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give Him glory, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth and sea and springs of water. The first angel here preached the gospel. Fear God. Not a fear of Hey, you got to be scared. You better be so scared of God. I mean, are you happy about God? You better be scared, buddy. And you give him a fist. Not any fear like that, but it is about reverence. Recognize he's holy. He takes seriously your life. Then it says, give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. Judgment isn't a bad thing for those who put their trust in Jesus. Judgment is actually a good thing. David says, Lord, judge me. Judge me with your loving kindness. Judge me with your goodness. The judgment is an amazing thing for those who put their trust in Christ. To those who haven't, it's as if when the text says in Matthew, when he's talking about the last days, and it'll say, may the rocks fall on us. I don't want you to say, may the rocks fall on me, because you're afraid of what is to come. I want you to be able to boldly proclaim Jesus I am your son, daughter, redeemed. God, may your goodness flow on me in your judgment because you're judging for me because I have the blood of Jesus Christ over me. Wow. Seems like an insignificant thing to many of us who've grown up Christian. Yeah, the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, I guess. You see, that's when the church that is spoken to that's lost their first love, it feels like the Adventists particularly those of you who are young, those of you who grew up in the church, the words about Jesus and His sacrifice in our life seem like, yeah, yeah, I know that. Tell me something new though, preacher. Tell me something more interesting, preacher. Wait, what? Yeah, I didn't get anything out of the message. You just talked about the blood of Christ and yeah, how it saves us and Friends, we've become so numb to the significance of what we say and what we have in front of us. Our numbness has gone so deep into us that we literally through this pandemic have grown sour and bitter and our spiritual walk has faltered. But when you understand the significance of what it cost for Christ to come down incarnate, die on a cross for you and me, Some of your friends are dying to hear this. They're still locked in the ways of this world and the cares of everything around them. They're waiting for someone to tell them this first message. Fear God. Give Him glory. He loves you. His judgment is for you when you choose Him. And then this last part. Worship Him who made heaven, earth, and the sea. This is found in both Exodus and Deuteronomy in both places where the Ten Commandments are spoken. Where? The fourth commandment is shared. Worship the Creator. Atheism and agnosticism has risen at such a prevalent rate. It is scary, friends. There are now over 20% of the U.S. population are in the agnostic and atheist realm. No care for religion. 
And that rose from 10% only 10 years ago. Do you understand if we keep up this rate of doubling in another 10 years, it will be 40%. The American population has seen such a decline in church attendance the first time in a century. Less than half of the population goes to church maybe once a month. We are in a perilous moment in crisis in the world. The first message that you and I are called to share, the purpose of our mission as Adventist young people is to tell people about Jesus. Tell them about His commandment and call to rest in this crazy, modern, busy world. Worship and rest. You know, there's so many students that I get to talk with as a teacher here at the university and pastor. And I talk with some people who are Hindu, Buddhist, and just non-practicing Christians. And I tell them this in the most loving and compassionate way. I think you've been brought here because you're living the busiest and most hectic life you can. You need to learn about the Adventist rest. You need to learn about what the significance is and how it changes your physiology and everything about you. And they look at me. And I don't know if they think I'm crazy, but I have to tell them. Why? Because I think it matters. The next message that we're called to share and tell people, not just about Jesus, but then the significance of how the stakes get intense now. And another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. The great city, because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Babylon, to understand this a little bit more deeply, you have to go back to Daniel. You see, the children of Israel were taken by the Babylonians. This was their arch enemy, just like Julian was to me in the second grade. My arch enemy from Germany happened to be. I know that's crazy, but it felt like it was World War II. He would always pick on me. He would always bother me. He would always just push on me. And one day I had enough. And I grabbed him by the arms and I swung him in the middle of our classroom. And I threw him against the wall. I know that was terrible. But you see, the children of Israel had an arch enemy, the Babylonians. They imprisoned them, enslaved them, put them into captivity in their country. And the similar picture now is here given to us in chapter 14 of Revelation. Now we have spiritual Babylon. And you have a spiritual Israel, these remnant, these people who say, I want to be faithful to God. And now the text says, literally in essence, just like Daniel chapter 5, when Belshazzar took all of the cups that they had stolen from Jerusalem when they exiled the Israelites. That is huge, lavish party. They thought they could go along with the world as they wanted. And then this hand popped up. Mene, mene, tekel, you farsa. You have been weighed and you're found wanting. In essence, your time's up. Your rule is over. Spiritual Babylon's rule is over. Who is spiritual Babylon? Anyone who is teaching anything contrary to the scriptures. Any religious institution, any group that is contrary to the scriptures. Anyone who portrays a gospel different than what? The scriptures call us to. 
I know that's a very hard thing to realize. But some people ignorantly or by decisive choice choose to follow simply what their parents told them about the things of religion or what their preacher says without checking it for themselves. They are in a spiritual Babylon. I don't know if it's you maybe. How about me? The text here says that Babylon's fallen. This spiritual idolatry, worshiping anything but the scripture truth is in a scary place. But also then it says here, Babylon made all the nations drink of her wine. This literally means any text that is false doctrine. Adventists preach two types of doctrines. They teach the doctrines that are similar to all other Christian faiths. The Trinity, of, of, uh, the Trinity, the Godhead, Jesus, Father, Son, the miracles of Christ, the virgin birth, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. But we also have pillar doctrines. You can think of them as the five S's. State of the dead. That when you die, you don't go straight to heaven. You wait for the resurrection, as Paul speaks up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Sabbath, the second S, keeping the fourth commandment as it's spoken, Friday night to Saturday night. The second coming. Some religious groups don't believe in the literal second coming. They just think your eyes will be unveiled and you'll see a new kingdom. We believe in the literal second coming, as Revelation speaks of at the very last chapters. Then the spirit of prophecy, that God will speak out once again in His last days, that there is a prophecy that comes into the world where God's children will speak dreams and visions and will be able to usher in a kingdom that He's promised. Wow. And then the sanctuary, that we have a high priest who's praying for us earnestly, that we would stay faithful to the very end, interceding for us on our behalf right now. So people who teach contrary to the scripture, it says they're fallen. They are in crisis. Who will tell them that they're fallen? Tonight is a little bit of a hard teaching because some of you are like, hey, dude, why do you got to be stepping on people's toes right now? We live in a generation that believes that it's about, hey, just keep your truth. Your truth is fine. That's okay. You believe that? Good, good. But guess what? There is also wrong things that people believe are true who will tell them the last message the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand he himself will also drink of the wine of the wrath of god this is a sober message for a people in the last day but listen, when you say it doesn't matter what you believe, when you say it doesn't matter if you have your truth, I have mine, and it isn't based on actually the word of God, you unfortunately will face God's judgment. Because He is a holy God, yearning for people to worship Him truly as He says He is. Some people believe in an evil tormentor who will kill people for all of eternity. How does that portray the character of God? And so here then we end our chapter 14 in verse 12. Hear the patience of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and have the 
faith of Jesus. You know, Adventists have been known to preach these pillar doctrines so well. But you know one thing as George Knight, the historian and professor says, we need to introduce Adventism to the grace of God and Jesus. We preach about these things that others don't believe in necessarily in Scripture because they don't see them as pillar doctrines. And we pound them into them. You've got to know the Sabbath. You've got to know the sanctuary. You've got to know the state of the dead. You have to know about the, this. And we forget ever to show them the love of God. We forget to show people that there is a Jesus, a Christ, who yearns to love them and to be part of their life. But you see, the cool thing is this. That you don't have to be left simply preaching Adventism without Jesus. We need to be preaching an Adventism that includes Jesus in the heart of it, in the center of it, that is founded by it. I believe in truth. I do. I believe each one of you is called to make decisions right now in your life. I think each one of you needs to be faithful to say, God, I'm going to stand up for truth even when it hurts. I talk to young adults regularly on the campus who say, man, I just, I don't have time to just not study on Sabbath. Other young adults, I don't have time to, to not work. I need that money. It's hard to be faithful to say, God, I'm going to rest in you and trust. You're going to take care. You're going to provide. You're going to give me the grades I need. You're going to give me the money that I need. We forget that life is built not just on one big apple. An Adam and Eve moment. Oh, there's the fruit. Will I eat it? Will I not eat it? I don't know. Oh. And you bite it. And you think it's over. The test is done. I failed. Life is made of many apples. Many to choose from. You're always being tested in every single day. Last week we did learn that there will be one test, a final test for a generation when they will need to choose when religious and political powers will oppress at such a level that they will need to choose Christ and His law or easy way out. But so now each one of us though needs to remember every single day you're called to make a decision of faithfulness. You don't have to choose to take the bite. You don't need to go down that road. Why? Because the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 and 16 speaks out to each one of us saying, He has known every way of our journey. He has been tempted in every way that we have. And He will provide a way out for you. No one's crazy about that, huh? The fact that Jesus provides a way out for us? Friends, we got to be excited about that. You see, sometimes we look at grace and we say, God, thank you for your grace that covers my sin. No, the text here in Hebrews 4 says, run to grace and it will provide a way out for you. Grace is for your forgiveness, but it is also for your ability to overcome sin. Amen to that? Do you want a grace that helps you overcome sin even? That means when you see the apple, you run to grace. No, I'm not taking a bite of this rotten fruit. Literally, this is a rotten apple I bit into. 
to portray this. I'm, I'm going all in to do these illustrations here for you. When you see this, you can run to grace and say, I don't need this anymore. I don't know what's in bondage to you right now in your life. I don't know what's holding you back. But you can run to grace. These are people who have the keep the commandments, but also have the faith in Jesus, a God who is full of grace, who provides a way out for us. When you see the apple, the temptation, you can just start to juggle it. No, I don't need this. I have better uses for this. I'm done. Forget that. No, I don't need this. Forget that. This, no, that's not part of my life anymore. I'm done with that. That's what the grace of God does. That's for people who put their faith in Jesus. People who have the courage to say, God, I'm trusting in your grace to help me through this. Friends, it's about us now in this generation looking to be, I'm going to leave you with this appeal, two appeals for you tonight. Two appeals. You've got to be a people who choose to be faithful witnesses. If we're going to reach a world in crisis with the truth that God has for us, it first starts with us in this, being faithful. I'm not trying to scare you and saying you're losing your salvation if you fall into sin. I am a sinner in need of grace. And guess what? These moments when we fall and we share about our vulnerability, this is how I fell. This hurt people and it affected stuff and stuff broke apart in my life and it was awful. And people cry and they're like, that's me, that's me too. I did that, I did that. And we forget all the brokenness that was caused by our sin. You know, David was known as a man after God's own heart. But guess what? After his sin, his family broke apart completely. Children dying. His rebellion happening in the home of, of his son Absalom. Death, infidelity, hardship, crisis. And God redeems that. And that's beautiful. But it's also about saying, God, I don't need a story like the rest of the world. I'm done having that story, God. I'm done being the person that shares the brokenness always and telling, ah, oh, now look at the grace of God. Lord, I want to be like Daniel. I want to be found faithful so that people look at my life, hear my words. They can trust and say, I believe that. I see that. I recognize that. I want that. First appeal for you tonight is this. Are you ready to receive the grace of God that you might be found faithful? That you might be a witness that is faithful? And then secondly is this. Are you willing to be the actual witness? First comes the faithfulness, but then the witness. We need people who are willing to share, taking the risk. I'm going to tell my neighbor I'm going to tell my friend. I'm going to tell my family member. I'm going to tell someone about Jesus. I'm going to tell them about the significance of these messages. That God is real. His judgment is coming. There is a fallenness to not believing biblical truth. There is also death. Who's willing to be a witness? Tonight I'm going to ask you if in any way... You want to be faithful. 
And secondly, if in any way you are ready to be a witness, I want to encourage you tonight to take that leap and step of faith. I'm going to do the embarrassing, which people don't like always. But I'm going to ask you as the, as the team comes up here to sing this next last song, that if in any way in your heart you're ready, God, I need that faithfulness. God, I want you to redeem me and help me to be faithful. And Lord, I need that courage, that Holy Spirit power to keep me faithful so that I can now be bold and speak into the world. I want you to come forward. If you need that extra measure of grace or if you need that extra blessing of the Holy Spirit, Tonight, I'm going to ask that you would come forward into that grassy area as an appeal that you're ready to take a stand for Jesus in both faithfulness and the faithful witness. Is that you tonight? Amen. 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 Are you ready? to take a stand in grace in such a way that God would see you as being faithful? And would you take a stand to step out in truth and to share that with the world in crisis? Amen, 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 amen. As the group sings tonight, if your heart is stirred in any way, I want to just encourage you, just come forward. Come forward. Take a moment to sing with them. Fall on your knees and pray. Take a moment in whatever way you want to stand or sit or be in the presence of Jesus. And tonight, make that commitment saying, Lord, I want to be your faithful witness. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.